The Flintstones are back in an all-new adventure. So take a trip to the prehistoric strip. The Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas. Rated PG. Now playing. And welcome back to Unloved Sequels, the podcast that brings you a blow-by-blow blow critique of Hollywood's worst-rated sequels. You know, the ones that some people think should never have been made. We're your hosts, Michael. Say hello. Hello. And I'm Claire. In this second half of a surprise two-parter, we're picking up where we left off on a movie that even we're surprised we found this much to say about. Michael, remind us, what's the movie? We're taking a U-turn back to Vegas with the Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas. Now, guys. This is the second part of our two-part episode on the Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and give us a listen. There's a great interview with David Newman, who is the composer of the Flintstones and the Flintstones Viva Rock Vegas. So we ended our last episode with an interview and Claire hinted that there was another special guest that we might have what's caused this two-parter. So why don't we start there? This is me having a very exciting conversation with the director of the Flintstones and the Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas, Brian Levant. So exciting! I'm here with director Brian Levant who not only directed The Flintstones and The Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas, but also directed Beethoven, Jingle All The Way, Snow Dogs, and one of my favourite sequels, Problem Child 2, which my mum refused to rent from Blockbusters for me after the fifth time in a row because I got into a hell of a lot of trouble in school with that movie. It gave me some great ideas. He is also the author of a brand new book called My Life With Toys. Brian, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Uh, it, 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 well, I'm sure it is a pleasure. It is the Unloved Sequels uh, uh, <laughs> uh, show, and, and and we're here to talk about uh, my Unloved sequel, uh, Viva Rock Vegas, and I've never really, uh, no one brings it up in interviews. <laughs> really? I'm so surprised, because well, I uh, we got uh, a lot of requests for this. So well, a lot it, of people... it, it's very, t- so, so, so just, just explain to me how you chose this vehicle (laughs) so okay this is a funny conversation because a couple of weeks ago i had a great conversation with david newman your friend the composer yes about flintstones for this episode okay so i interviewed david as well and he was very complimentary about you let me just say and i basically when i started doing this podcast i wanted to do a podcast about things that most people don't talk about And being a movie fan myself, and also being a fan of the Hollywood machine and the toyetic side of Hollywood, sequels always lead into that. And I always love the fact of, to me, a a sequel is like going back to your favorite restaurant and having the same meal. So, and there's so many sequels out there that get shoved to one side, and there's still passion behind them. And there's still a lot of work that goes into those movies. So we started doing this podcast because we thought no one ever discusses them. So we wanted to discuss them. Well, and that's how we I, are. I, I, I do appreciate that. And I, and I really enjoy your reasoning. 
as well. And I think you really hit the nail on the head that nobody sets out to fail. <laughs> and, uh -huh. and certainly no one set out to have a film whose uh, domestic gross uh, was one-tenth of yeah. its of its originals worldwide gross you know sometimes they you know even even in hollywood they think it's a bad bet because uh half the time you'll gross half of what you did mm -hmm. and half the time you'll do twice what you did <laughs> yeah it, it's a gamble it really is a gamble and and, and you know i i think and and so let, let, let's tell the whole story of how Viva Rock Vegas came to be. Yeah. And so in 1992, I heard they were looking for writers for the Flintstones. I'll try and do this part as fast as I can. No, take your time. Sequel. Honestly, no, no, take no, no, your no. time. Uh, uh, and and that they, they were looking for a writer for the Flintstones. Of course, by the, by the time the news drifted down to my level, uh, the job was long gone. But they yeah. all of a sudden, I, my agent says, they'd like to meet with you as a director. Wow. So I said, really? And uh, spent the next two weeks, you know, brushing up on my Shakespeare uh, <laughs> and uh, and really trying to produce the movie in my head. Yeah. And I had a, a, a wonderful meeting with Steven Spielberg and, and Kathy Kennedy, who now runs the, the uh, Star Wars universe. Yeah. Uh, and was then his partner, her, his partner, along with her husband, Frank Marshall. Who, who Frank was really off on his own by this point. Anyways, and they handed me this gilded franchise that I had watched the premiere of at eight years old in 1960 and probably wow. every episode since. And, and even into, into debacles like, uh, the, you know, Fred and Barty meet the schmoo, uh, <laughs> if you can believe that, that series, along with uh, two young producers uh, uh, who were Amblin young lieutenants and given their first real command post colin wilson who, who is now the oscar winner of the uh, original avatar and the executive producer of the mandalorian and bruce cone who's got a, a an oscar for american beauty on his mantle and they yeah that's what they did 20 years later 20 i was still making uh, hanna barbera adaptations and along with ilm and a couple of their young lieutenants who, who, yeah. who grew into, into great talents so over there and other places, uh, including Mark DePay, the an animation supervisor, and along with the Jim Henson Creature Shop of London, uh, Stephen very much wanted to go with Stan Winston, who did all the creatures for, yeah. for and, and I, I met with Stan Winston. It was not a good meeting. I, I wasn't prepared like I should have been uh, mm -hmm. for it, but what I did failed to detect from Stan Winston was any sense of whimsy. Yeah. That even, even the film that he had directed of supposedly a family film with a gnome, the gnome yeah. had, you know, the thing about the Hensons that I've always loved is even when the eyes are ping pong balls, they had a tremendous soul. Yeah, great characters. <laughs> they were unparalleled. And we built 22, I'm getting off the story, but we did, we built giant animatronic uh, uh, brontosauruses that had to move on railroad tracks. We built mm. six inch <laughs> can openers. You know, this job sucks. Uh, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, it was just an amazing experience. And the and we were very fortunate to have our trailer be attached to Jurassic mm. Park. 
we were very fortunate that the film had gone through 20 iterations before I ever heard about it. And for yeah. years and years, they were paying John Goodman to be in the movie, but they weren't making it. And they couldn't get the script. They couldn't get a team. They couldn't get this. They couldn't get that. And and luckily, they stalled until CGI had advanced to make so much more possible. <laughs> I bet. I bet it was completely... A, it must have been crazy to build that world, though. From being it, it a was, fan it as was, a kid, it was invigorating and challenging and unique, and I loved every minute of it. So, anyways, there was a tremendous marketing effort on behalf of the film. Uh, mm -hmm. We had enormous number of tie-ins, products, toys, happy meals, uh, uh, invitations, party wear, models, everything under the sun. They took the designs. That, that our art department and I uh, and the props uh, from Russell Bobbitt and his team, we all in all, we made 6,000 props, nice. costumes, cars, features, well, everything. When you, when they walked into their, into their massive ice age uh, freezer, everything on the shelves had to be built, you know? Yeah. I can imagine it. So it's like watching it even as a kid, I saw this movie in the cinema and it blew me away back then because I grew up watching the, the Flintstones and it was kind of like, you can see where so many cartoons from today, like the Simpsons get their ideas from the Flintstones, just the dynamic of it. And yes. just to watch that well built, like I collected all the trading cards for this movie. I still have oh, yeah. all my Fl Flintstones top trading cards in my parents lost in a Tupperware box. My parents keep coming me to come back to England and get rid of them. But like, no, they're worth something. Leave them there. But yeah, no, I like the appreciation of what you did to the, on screen. And, and today, kid. and today, today, you wouldn't make the movie no. the same way. You you would you would anything you touched, you'd build. Everything else would be CGI'd. Yeah, and that's be a shame because we really built bedrock. And we worked yeah. in a quarry, <laughs> and we worked at Vasquez Rocks, where the tectonic plates that make create the earthquakes in California had literally busted up through the ground dramatically, huge. Oh, and, and, and that's where we built the, the, their neighborhood, and it, it was a, a great experience, uh, an, an amazing cast. You know, for John Goodman. Rick Moranis, Rosie O'Donnell, Elizabeth Perkins, Halle Berry, Kyle McLaughlin, yeah. Cheryl Lee Ralph, uh, with Jonathan Winters, Jay Leno. Uh, I mean, it was just it's it, iconic. Every, every, everywhere you looked, uh, uh, there, there was great people. And the film made $354 million worldwide mm. at a time when there are half the number of theaters yeah. in the world that there are today. There was no China to pad your box office, <laughs> and even places like that. It, it did extraordinarily well in Japan, where they didn't, where they never even had the series. <laughs> but in the Spanish-speaking world, it was it went, and in Europe, uh, I mean, astoundingly big numbers. Yeah. Uh, and, and so you know, today that's well over a billion dollars, which for a comedy is, is very hard to achieve. And and the fact is that this movie was made for under $50 million. <laughs> it, it still blows my mind when I look at those figures. It's completely crazy. Like the cast you got was absolutely phenomenal. And I remember the um, at the time the, 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 the grief that this company and yourself received for casting Rosie O'Donnell in the role, who I think is fantastic in it. The best, the best, the best. And Viva, we had Jane Krakowski playing the part. Oh, iconic. And, and, and Jane was equally wonderful, but nobody, nobody lights up uh, a room like like Rosie does. Her energy is so infectious. She's so positive. 
she you know she she just exuded joy and and and, and Rick Moranis you know yeah said to me yeah she should be playing anybody in this movie it would be Fred but as soon as soon as they got on stage together they were great Rick mm -hmm. you know Rick it was an ensemble player and here he found a great teammate yeah and and, and they were you know the, the whole experience was, do you ever see her on on tiktok on tiktok she still every tiktok she does she goes it's me rosie o'donnell from the no, from the flintstones yes yes I, she's I, still I haven't riding seen, it I haven't it's seen awesome it. my, my <laughs> wife always tells me uh she does <laughs> anyways so we have this amazing movie amblin has all these plans we're gonna make we're gonna make the flintstones two and three back to back wow like back to the future we got ourselves a new monster franchise, right? And then there was just one problem. What was that? People kept coming up to John Goodman in airports and on the street and going, yeah, but dabba do. Oh, no. And he didn't like <laughs> and, that. And, I would have loved and, it. And and John went to Stephen, asked for a meeting, came in, sat down, and basically said, please don't make me do any more of these. <laughs> oh, no. That's heartbreaking. I knew he didn't want to do it, but that is the reason he gave. No, that... no. This is this is. I, I'm looking at it and, and knowing John mm. uh, from working with him on this and watching his career, that John considers himself a very serious actor. This was not, and he threw himself into it. I mean, yeah. everything he did was big and strong and powerful and, and making tremendous character choice after tremendous character choice. Yeah. And, he, you know, it, it's not like he dogged it or anything in any way, shape or form. He threw mm -hmm. himself into the yeah. role, and you know, stubbed his toe a lot, <laughs> stepped on things. They all did. It was terrible, you know, to make a barefoot movie. Oh, uh, <laughs> and people didn't like it. I, I liked showing the, the dirty bottoms of feet. <laughs> yeah, I think it's part of the, part of the and, characters. And, and, you know, and at the car, at the, at the gas station, they'd wash your feet, you know? Yeah, I it was that. awesome. It was awesome. Uh, uh, anyway, anyways, so John said no, and well, there went all those plans. We'd not, we, we'd not gotten very far. Yeah. And you know, after a while, uh, so so the regime changed at Universal, mm -hmm. and uh, and they wanted to see if they could mine <laughs> the the franchise. And yeah. uh, uh, Bruce and I had always talked about the second one actually being a full-blown musical oh, uh, i would uh, love that yeah and do viva rock vegas as a, as a musical oh that would make that makes the ending a lot more sense because you got your way with how the film ended and yes, david gave yes. me a no, great well, insight well, there, into that there, there are several musical numbers in, in yes. there and uh you know two or three more and it's a musical <laughs> You could have pulled it off. You should have pulled it off anyway and just not let Universal well, the, the, know. You know, something in, in 1998, whenever, 1997, whenever, you know, music, musicals were dead again. Yes, you know? exactly. You know, and, and, then, and then Baz Luhrmann makes one and everyone, oh, I love musicals. <laughs> uh, let's so, make Mamma Mia, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so was the reason why John Goodman didn't want to do it, is that the reason why you decided to do a prequel and not follow it as another well, sequel? Well, yes. No, past? well, that, that, that was the obvious choice here. I don't think we really considered how difficult it would be to replace uh, all of them. Yeah. And now at the same time, I'm going to throw a little shade on the studio. The regime had changed there. 
they did not want to make they would have liked it to have been more adult and right. and less for the family audience so so we were kind of getting pressured you, you know to to, yeah. to make it, which is it it which betrays kind of the franchise because it's yeah. based on innocence and an innocent world mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know where, where you know where luckily the only you know your biggest battle of survival is, is overcoming <laughs> uh, uh, you, you know your own personality <laughs> yeah i bet uh and and so we 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 moved ahead and uh and you know many many people wanted to be in it and uh and we finally found Mark Addy uh mm-hmm. we, I, I read him on a satellite feed I was in Chicago he, <laughs> he 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 was in he was in he wasn't even London he was somewhere north of London uh and uh and we had an early satellite feed you know and yeah. uh you know, and he didn't have the voice down. And we eventually hired the woman who, who gives American accents to every British actor. <laughs> but, She's you know, very busy. And, 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 and still there was just a touch of, the, uh, uh, you know, touch of English uh, on Fred. But I, yeah. I love Mark, Eddie. I think he's a, a, a wonderful, wonderful actor. And, you know, he yeah. had a very successful series in America for five years, just on Game of Thrones for 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 a while, uh, yeah. and his other movie work is spectacular. So we didn't have we didn't have the instant name recognition. No, uh, uh, the recognition was with the Flintstones, which which audience you know they, they go out to shopping centers and, and test name recognition of franchises. Mm. Flintstones stored ninety nine percent. That is almost impossible. Mm. Almost right. impossible to have to have that kind of recognition. And remember, that was still <laughs> that that was that was 30, 30 years ago. So yes. <laughs> and, and so and so uh the other choices were were very interesting. Kristen Johnson had just won uh her Emmy Award. She'd been nominated several times for Third Rock for uh, right, yes. Son and, and Jane had won the Golden Globe for her work on Allie McBeal. And uh, yeah, no, though, though, you know, they were, they were very talented. And for some reason, the studio loved Stephen Baldwin. I liked Stephen Baldwin. He turned out not to be a serious performer or mm. really, you know, really give a damn about his craft. That That's for sure. Oh. Uh, uh, I like people who, who, who come to play ball. Yeah, you know? no. And not somebody who walks in and says, so what are we shooting today? So he didn't like the way Rick Moranis kind of like threw himself in the role and became Barney. Oh, all Rick, all, Rick, Rick had it very lucky. All he had to do was put his mouth to one side and cock his head a little bit. And all of a sudden his IQ dropped like 40 points. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's completely the opposite story in the film because he's the clever one. But uh, <laughs> his character comes across as the relying on fred and he doesn't need fred at all that's what i love no 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 yes no they they were wonderful together and and we i think we miss that sense of camaraderie because you know it it just it it didn't happen there uh uh kristen i think was going through a bad time uh you know she'd come back the next day in the same body makeup having never showered at all oh my god Uh, i loved joan collins i loved working with her the first day the first day we never got a shot because she never came out of makeup. She was never happy. Uh, uh, so I, I should have taken these things as warnings. Uh, 
<laughs> but like it was talking about Joan Collins. So like in the original, yes. you had Elizabeth Taylor yes. uh, playing Pearl Slagcoople, and in the sequel, you had Joan Collins. You had two iconic roles. Like how perfect could you get to play early Elizabeth Taylor would be to get Joan Collins to do the younger uh, version. How was it like? Well, yeah, yeah, but, uh, by the way, by the way, uh, yes, a younger version. However, they were the same age when they played the part. Were they? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Joan Collins wins hands down for like, like structure. Uh, <laughs> She's uh, like, no, no, she just turned 90, I believe. Uh, and, uh, and, and we had a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, with her, they, I, I had a lot of fun w with Elizabeth Taylor, too. Mm. You know, she hadn't made a movie in eighteen years, and, yeah. and and it's my observation that people who grow up on sets—I mean, literally, like she mm. did as a child actress—there's yeah. something that's that's like going back to your high school for them. <laughs> now, what was the rest? Of, what was the rest of the cast like? Something like Elizabeth Taylor walks on set—that must have been like even big for John. Uh, you know, you know, she made sure it was normal oh that's you know, nice she, to hear yeah no you know and and uh, and you know the first thing she says to me is look if you don't like what i'm doing just tell me you got it oh because that was her, that was her last actual live action movie as well wasn't no it? no she did one other thing after that i believe a tv movie Oh, oh, maybe that one that she did with Ryan, uh, with Debbie uh, Reynolds. Debbie Reynolds, I believe so. Yes, I've seen that one as well. Yeah, yeah, She's better no, in the first yeah, yeah, no, and and the first time Elizabeth saw the movie at her house, she was very disappointed. Liz Smith was with her, and I happened yeah. to sit next to Liz Smith at the uh, New York premiere. Yeah, where where and Liz Smith had slammed the movie before she'd even seen it. Well, I guess after she'd seen it at Elizabeth's house. And and and, uh, and then Liz Smith was at the premiere, which was a smash bang, cheering, wild applause, huge yeah. laughs affair, and 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 she basically the next day wrote a big retraction, very out that Liz Smith was a very influential uh, uh, media columnist. Yes. <laughs> Because it's like, I suppose that, I suppose things like the Flintstones play better on the big screen with a group of people because it relies on humour. Yeah, and sometimes yeah. you get that off of other people and, and, as well. And, and perhaps a knowledge of the show, which Elizabeth yes. Taylor, who was doing, you know, Butterfield 8 and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof when it was playing, probably was not, <laughs> you know, although our kids probably watch it. You know, John exactly. Williams, uh, John Williams, who, who I, I was very good friends with his daughter and, and her husband for a long time. And... Yeah. Uh, 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 he was nice enough uh, at the end of a scoring session to record the Flintstones theme for our teaser trailer that was attached to Jurassic Park, and oh. and and he he'd never he, he didn't know it. You know, we assume everybody knows the Flintstones theme, right? Yeah, exactly. It's just common, you know, isn't it's it? Not, it's not like oh, I didn't do tea. He did Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea for God's sake. <laughs> It's true. Uh, he said, "I, I might have been on with the kids. I don't remember." And he, and, and at the end, you know, and he really he picked up on on on, on the tenor of it and the excitement, of it. and he really he really drove the orchestra. It was great. That's nuts. <laughs> so when it came to pre-production, yes, for Fever Rock Vegas, how right. did that compare to when you started doing the Flintstones? Because obviously the Flintstones well, were in production for we, so long. We. Well, we we had we had a, a a good window. We'd done some preliminary designing before before it really became real. Yeah, uh, and and you know it, it 
you know, this is what I'm most proud of, uh, of the movie. We built a city of dreams yeah. <laughs> uh, in, in the, in the quarry. And, mm. you know, and we, and we, you know, and literally we, the streets were lined with gold <laughs> and planted in, in the road. And, and the scale was just enormous. And to build, you know, so the, the old Vegas names of the hotels were so the sands, the dunes. <laughs> yeah, I know it was just, it's so perfect. Just to even like, I've always wondered what it'd be like to walk on a set like that, because it reminds me of that um, in Malta where they have that Popeye village, what they built for the Popeye movie. Yes, 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 on Malta, it, yes. Yeah, and it's still open today. You can go and visit it. And I think a lot oh, of people really? go there probably have never seen the Popeye movie with Bobby yeah. Williams because that didn't <laughs> perform well. But I always think, what would it be like if they just kept the sets up for the Flintstones? Well, it, they, they were very short-sighted. Yeah. What, what they should have done was built Rock Vegas on the back lot. Yeah, hundred percent. I told them, I, I, you know, and I hate to say it, but you know, this is 1998, 99, and, and I said, guys, kids don't have any idea what Spartacus was. So Spartacus Square really isn't very impressive, but you could turn that into Rock Vegas, and, yeah. and, and it would be a, a stunner. Yeah, and, and it'd still be going around today. They, they didn't. They didn't see it. Um, and, Such and a shame. I think had. DreamWorks, like I said, a lot happened in the interim. Uh, Amblin was really folded into DreamWorks and Stephen uh, with his new partners had very ambitious plans. And this was kind of, you know, he always yeah. did this kind of thing with his left hand. With his left hand, he made Back to the Future. With his left hand, he, he made Twister. Yes, <laughs> uh, big movies. Uh, you know, with his left hand, he makes the Flintstones, you know, yeah. and so many other projects that, that, that had his imprintor and 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 allowed people to pursue yeah. uh, excellence um under under his wing uh and any anyways so so he was very involved with dreamworks and like i said there were administrative changes at universal mm -hmm. which include them included the marketing team as well right. uh, they had changed uh, uh, they had thrown out the guy who was there, Perry, I can't remember his last name right now, who, who did a bang up job for so many years and, and really communicated well with filmmakers. That, that's yeah. that's what impressed me most about him with these uh, uh, people that he stole from another studio who'd had a, mm. a damn good run. Yeah. And, and they got to Universal and the magic kind of died. And they had built a campaign for the film centered around uh, the the photographer david la Chap david la chapelle oh great photographer okay but in touch if you look at his work it's uh, very raunchy it's quite like madonna again again yes yes uh, it, it so so it was toned down but it was a little hip for the room right. and at the last second they replaced the market that marketing team and brought in new people and they took a lot of the images uh, that uh, La Chapelle had shot and gave it to the uh, guy Drew, what's his name, uh, who did the Flintstones poster in Indiana Jones and and, yeah, like... and, and all these others. Uh, uh, you know, an, an astounding, an astounding uh, uh, artist. If you look at the Flintstones mm. poster, how he somehow took the best expression out of thousands of people, pictures, out of thousands mm. of pictures, he found the perfect expression for each of those people, yeah, uh, you couldn't have done it any any better than he did, and and, 
And, you know, just the fact that, you know, he, he had the Flintstone mobile uh, going up and you know, getting air, you know, yeah. it just it exuded an energy and a confidence and a reality. It's such a great poster. Yeah, yeah. And so the, the I, I believe the Viva poster is equally beautiful. Uh, yes. So we made uh, the film and, uh, uh, and, and I'm very, very proud of it. I, the sets were, were just so ginormous. The street was so, so in enormous uh, uh mm. the inside of the uh, of the hotel the yeah. the rooms everything was so overscaled that actually i went i i the right after that i went and I, and I made a pilot and i looked at these little tiny tv set uh tv sets not a tv set but the sets that you're, you're yeah. shooting the, the plans i said this is too small too small and i made it so much bigger and it was such a mistake because it was too big to light on the schedule and i, I so my whole sense of scale went out the window from working yeah <laughs> like like that you know where or, you know, a pair of dice, uh, you know, is as big as a ham, you know? <laughs> but, like, watching Viva Rock Vegas compared to the original Flintstones movie, it does feel a lot more grander. It feels bigger due to the sets, and it just feels like a bigger world-building attempt than the first one did. The first one feels like you're in just in uh, the Flintstones world, and so you've grown this massive world that exists out of that little village. Right. So right. no, is is John Goodman said in, in in the first one as Fred, uh, hey, who needs the rebels? There's forty five hundred other people in this world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then the population's grown for the prequel. So, but when so, it came, yeah, to no, and, and and it was it was it was uh, it it was big, and and when we went to the uh, the slag hoopals, yes, uh, uh, just I mean the. The dining room table, I think, was 68 feet long. <laughs> oh, the dream of being in that, like, even as you, you must be able to walk in those rooms after, like, the set builders have gone in there and just be blown away. I just love the concept to just playing in that environment as a filmmaker. As well. Yeah, no, it, 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 it was... It was... It was it was great, you know. Or Orson Welles once said that that uh, uh, a movie studio is the best toy a boy could ever have, and and, and true. making those movies, I had the best toy collection of anybody. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. But when it came to like building those worlds, particularly in the terms of like replicating the notion of actual ideas from the cartoons and kind of like appliances that we use in today's world who came up with all of them was that something you had in, in uh, it, it starts in the script uh, and and uh you know if it says you know you're at a bar then i'm gonna say okay so so let's make a juice squeezer <laughs> right so you so you could have some let's, uh, you know let, let's make a blender so at the bar you you've got it looks like a bar so did yeah. you have a, te a team of people just coming up with animal ideas about uh, how to no, make them no, into no, appliances? No, uh, no, no. The team of people coming up with it, really, it, it, start, it would start with me and say, we need blank. This yeah. scene needs blank. We, we had a scene in there at one point uh, where where Fred and Barney were fishing. And uh, and it was actually a scene inspired by a comic book cover that yeah. uh, uh, the, the fish that they hooked was like 40 times bigger than them and used one of these prehistoric sharks. That, that they <laughs> like long, a megalodon. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and at another point, we had a scene and, it and, and I actually storyboarded it and then tried to uh, shoot it and cut it from mm. the storyboards. And, and what I found was it was, 
boring me to death, but it was a whole polo game played yeah. on, on Haparoos. Uh, and then the polo ball was one of those roly poly, a giant roly poly bug. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I like the polo scene. It's awesome. It's like you use a lot more CGI in the prequel than you did in the original. There's yes. A, there's well, a... we had to. Uh, now, the other thing that we desperately wanted to introduce was the great kazoo. <laughs> yes. So that's and, a big step because he only appears in like 14 episodes of the 600 that, episodes. Well, you know, to that I say, well... Carl Reiner only appeared in 11 episodes of the Dick Van Dyke show, but you feel like it's so many more. <laughs> you can't argue with that theory. <laughs> uh, and, and, and so we wanted Gazoo. And luckily I saw, I saw the Macy's Thanksgiving day parade. And, yep. uh, and then Alan Cumming was doing cabaret on Broadway. Yep. And so they're in the, they're in the parade doing some show stopping number. And I'm looking at this guy. And as soon and I'm transfixed. He's so goddamn he talented, right? <laughs> I mean, it was just so obvious uh, and, and versatile. And I call up Bruce Cohn and, and, and I say, "Hey, Bruce, you ever heard of this guy, Alan? Cohn? Of course, I've heard of Alan. Cohn. Oh, I saw him in, in in Cabaret when I was playing at Studio Fifty Four. <laughs> and uh, I said, "What do you think of him for Gazoo? He goes, "Oh my God." That's perfect. He's he's so good in it, and he played. And, all... and, and I, I think we we were so anxious for. He was like, I'm not so sure, but he, we wanted him so much that yeah. we kind of we kind of we kind of got him to, to give in. And you know, I'm sure at the time that he he did acquiesce, that he didn't imagine that he'd be hanging <laughs> on a har on a harmonist on wires <laughs> for eight hours a day for weeks. Same gazoo lines because he also plays Mick Jagger. Uh, uh, Mick Jagged. Mick Jagged. That's it. That's and, it. Um, and and, uh, and and you know he's wearing prosthetic lips. Yeah. In there and, and you know at first the makeup woman wanted to do something more akin to a floppy ubangi <laughs> lip, <laughs> and I backed away from it, and I probably shouldn't have. I just say it probably wouldn't have worked when he sang, but he really didn't sing much, did he? Anyway, no, creating but... Gazoo was was great fun because yeah. you know when you say to people you, you're at a production meeting and and we say and the great Gazoo appears, right? Climbs yeah. out of the spaceship. They look at it, say, "How are you going to do that?" And That's so 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 I, we'll figure it out. And so what I finally did was send the, uh, my assistant, now the editor of billion and a half dollar movies like, like Super Mario Brother. Yeah, <laughs> uh, true, true. And I sent him down to the wardrobe department. I said, "Get a space helmet, uh, get a cape, and, and some boots." And we took pictures of him in this yeah. ridiculous getup. And then we put them in the Xerox machine and Xerox them in different sizes to make the the the, the feet the, to make the feet big, to make yeah. the legs tiny, to make the torso tiny, to make the head big, and just you know literally cut it out with scissors and put it together with magic tape. Mm. And I went to our visual effects team, and and I and I said, so if I can do this on a Xerox machine, they can do the same thing CGI, don't you think? And, and, they, the and they did is yes uh, and with certain accommodations uh, if you can imagine that his helmet uh was probably almost four feet top to bottom in order mm. to get the the right and his boots and his boots uh were probably about a size 242 yeah <laughs> 
Uh, and so then, so then when all these things were shrunk, they were in the proper perspective. Oh, that's awesome. And, and the first time we, sh we did a test, we did a test and showed it to, 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 to Stephen. And, uh, and he goes, how'd you do that? You put his head on a puppet, right? Yeah. Go, no, no. <laughs> I said, Stephen even know how it was done. That's so cool. No, I said, look at it. Yeah, I said, run it. Watch his hands. His, his fingers are really moving. It looks so great, though. Even looking at it today's standards, kind of like when you look at so much CGI these days, yeah. it still looked fantastic, like 20 odd years down the line. It still looked great. Yeah, no, but... it, was, it, was, it was good stuff. And I love the opening of the film aboard, aboard you know, his, his race's spacecraft with thousands of, 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 of gazoo-like creatures. When they multiply. <laughs> floating about, so awesome. working screens. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I think it really gave it a, a unique flavor. And yeah. well, So and, was that your idea to put gazoo in it? Well, you know. What you know, if you're going to keep doing the Flintstones, yeah, you're going to bring in Gazoo. Yeah, you're yeah gonna for have the to... third ones, you might have even seen the Ghoulies or the Jetsons. Who knows? <laughs> I would have loved you to make a Jetsons movie. That would I would have loved my... to make a Jetsons movie. No one wanted me to make a Jetsons movie more than Joe Barbera. Ah, uh, I would. But, that uh, Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers. I I don't know why they didn't believe that I would give them what they were looking for. And I don't think anyone could ever give them what they were looking for. What I have al always offered in mm. doing sequels, in doing reboots, uh, you know, yeah. my, my, my Leave it to Beaver revival uh, ran yeah. 101 episodes, a feature film and a, and, and a top rated movie of the week. And I approach these things like an audience. What yeah. do I want to see? But why okay. would Warner Brothers not say that? Because you produced two Scooby-Doo movies that Scooby-Doo fans... Uh, that, 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 that came later, yes. Yes, and, and that was for Warner Brothers, but not yeah. the feature division, not the feature division. That was for the Cartoon Network. Yeah, and like they are classed as Scooby-Doo fans' favorite versions of live-action Scooby-Doo movies. Like, even more well, than I, I would hope so. An, an interesting sidebar. There was talk of releasing uh, uh, Mystery Begins with, with Robbie Amell and Haley Kayoko and Nick Pilatus and, and yeah. Kate Melton uh, as a feature because everybody, like, hey, this is pretty good. For and so they did a theatrical test. Yeah. Uh, we scored an 88. The first Scooby movie, they their theatrical test in the same theater with the same, very similar audience composition, tested in 87. That movie yeah. cost eighty-eight million dollars. Ours cost seven and a half. You know, I watch, I have to admit, I watched them last night because I was like, "Oh, really? Yeah." And I, I think they're great films. I think the cast is great. I think the the story actually feels like a Scooby Doo story, and it feels like something that would fit also fit in a half an hour window. And I think that's the magic of it. I think it does feel like Scooby Doo. Well, the Scooby Doo movies, they're too grand. They're too big. They don't. They go off the rails. Like You're right. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you to a point. I, I think that I, I think that you know, number one, their approach to the character. They might have wanted a much more realistic Scooby. I wanted, I wanted the Scooby face I love done in yeah. 3D, and yeah. and the, the Scooby face. I, I'm I, I I hate to point fingers at Hanna Barbera, but if you take Dino when you put the ears on him, you got Scooby. <laughs> you do. And, and Astro and Dino Mud. It's, it's all the same model, guys. Uh, <laughs> and he could try one pack. Yeah. So 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 why change it? No, you know, exactly. it was it wasn't a, a well it wasn't a well merchandised face, you know. Uh, which is another thing about Viva. 
the 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 originally the Flintstone toys, much heralded the Mattel lines and stuff, which today are very collectible, by the way. Yeah, they didn't they didn't fly off the shelves, mm. right? And so all the licensing on the sequel was basically built around the classic Flintstone characters. Yeah, uh, and there was a lot less of it, and and a lot less prestige. Uh, and, and you know, is is someone in 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 distribution once said at a staff meeting it was reported to me you know so what do you guys keep talking about the the toys didn't sell the movie made a fortune <laughs> uh so yeah so but but you know the challenges of, of doing gazoo uh it, it's very difficult you know to to work with a rubber uh you know, for rehearsals, you know, and to show the animators where you want it, we had a rubber gazoo made and somebody would be walking him around through the scene and we pre-recorded Alan Cumming. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so, you know, we could play the line. So, and, and the sound guy was really good. You know, he did eyes wide shut with Kubrick, you know, and of seven <laughs> people on the set. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was, it, it, it worked, but, you know, you have to keep your eye lines so, so perfect. Mm. It, you know, in these things. Otherwise, it's so unconvincing. And when it, you're actually shooting, there's nothing there. So yeah. it, it, it's it's a tough job acting. You know, with a tennis ball, as they as people say. Uh, and, it, and it wasn't a common thing back then, because to it. But like now, it's so common for people to act oh, it's in so, those so kind of kind of, Every everything has changed so much. To do a CGI shot in the first Flintstones, we had to use oh, a, a very very special camera. Oh, what was it? a VistaVision camera uh, right. set on its side? The thing about VistaVision was it had huge frames, and it gave the uh, the people at ILM more room to work. Uh, mm. Now, four years later, no, no, you don't have to shoot with VistaVision anymore. You don't have to. I mean, we couldn't move the camera. You could do an yeah. optical zoom, an optical pan, but you could not move the camera. And now, you know, you, you know, you put some markers down here and there and you can do whatever the hell you want. So so things did evolve and, and it became easier and it was a more expensive film. Yeah. And, and uh, it was a tough film. It was a tougher film to make. Uh, I loved I loved the art direction. I loved that we got Anne Margaret, uh, you know, uh, who was not only Elvis Presley's uh, uh, co-star and I hear mm. love her uh, during the making of. Uh, of Viva Las Vegas in 1966, uh, but she was also in 1962 at the height of, of her uh, original stardom, a character in the Flintstones playing Pebbles babysitter and singer Anne Margrock. And <laughs> uh, and originally I, 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 I'd wanted her to be in the movie. She used to have a Vegas act and yeah. she would sing on top of this giant open and the palm of this giant open hand. And she fell and she really messed up her face and she didn't perform for years. And I wanted her to, to reenact <laughs> that without the fall, uh, naturally. Uh, and backed by the <laughs> Japanese girl group, Shonen Knife. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but oh, we, but that, then we got into doing the whole uh, uh, Viva Rock Vegas. And, uh, and, and it was her idea to bring in James Burton, who was uh, who was uh, originally Ricky Nelson's uh, uh, rock and roll guitarist, and then went to work for Elvis uh, in the 60s. And yeah. you can see him in the uh, Elvis comeback uh, uh, special, 1968. That's nuts. It's There's so many things. Um, talking about the music side of things, I also got a chance, just like I said before, to speak to David, David Newman. Newman. How lucky for you. 
uh, such a lovely guy, and we had a great conversation. So talented, so talented. Oh, we we had a massive long conversation about his work on West Side Story. What is oh wonderful? Well, you know, he 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 uh, at the Hollywood Bowl. He uh, on the fiftieth uh, anniversary, I believe it was. Uh, uh, he did the first uh, uh, live performance of the soundtrack with the with the nineteen sixty one film, and oh. uh, since done it, they they toured with it. I think they went all up and down the East Coast, yeah. uh, uh, New York and stuff. Uh, and, you know, he, he's he's an amazing conductor uh, uh, and composer. Uh, you, you have to respect, you know, not many composers can do what he does. And yeah. and he loves, he, you know, here he is. He's, what is it? Uh, second generation. There's so many generations of Newmans. And, uh, you know, yeah. like every one of them is is, is one Oscars. Uh, they're, they're just an amazingly talented group of he people. Talk, he talked about your relationship and talked about your friendship and how many projects you worked over the years together. I think, I, I think, to... I think, I think he said at one point I'd done more movies uh, with, with him than anyone and uh, probably made less than, <laughs> <laughs> than he had working for Danny DeVito. Uh, <laughs> probably, I'll oh, bless him. He, um, <laughs> He had a 2001, a great year for David. He did like Bedazzled and 102 Dalmatians and Viva yeah, Rock yeah. Vegas. So, but he, he was such a nice guy and it was so nice to touch base with him. What was your reaction to the release of the movie? And were you happy with the final film? Well, I, let, let me, t I, 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 I'm kind of conflicted mm -hmm. on that. I loved, you know, here's what I've learned. I should save this for the end, but I'll start with it. <laughs> okay. That you, you're in a creative life. Yes. That that you gotta that virtually no one has an undefeated season. That mm. Lucas, uh, 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 Cameron, <laughs> Spielberg have had massive failures, disappointments in, in, in their life. I've been on series that I I loved working on. It were canceled instantly, and <laughs> uh, and, Part of the business. and things that were just torturous to be, but. In the end, you know, if you if you if, what really matters is the experience. Did you yeah. have a good experience? Did, was this huge investment of your energy, your time, your health, yeah, <laughs> your future? Uh, was it was it worth it? And yes, I loved I loved I loved figuring out how to make the zoo fly. I, I love designing dinosaurs and crazy cars and mm. trucks and, 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 and cities uh, and, and magnificent costumes yeah. uh, and, and taking a blank piece of paper and, and turning it in, into a real script. And I, 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 I always felt that we, we didn't land a knockout punch. Right. Somehow we didn't clobber the audience enough. <laughs> uh, it, 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 we tried to build everything. Everything was was constructed well. For some reason, it just didn't connect with an audience and their expectations, uh, which evidently were low. But I think it had on. a lot to do with the lot to do with the audience at that time. Like things had moved on. Audiences moved on to things like. Harry Potter, like the highest grossing film of 2000 was Mission Impossible 2. It only took 500 million, what is nothing compared to the year before. What was like Harry Potter came out in 2001, that took like a billion. And the year before that, we had Star Wars. So people were like, took a billion. So you're kind of like, you're, the year you came out was the start of a new millennium. And 
the audience probably had also changed what their output was. I, I, I don't wanted. know. I, I, I don't I don't know. I I think that uh, you know let me tell you this. So so when we showed the film to Stephen, yeah, A, he doesn't let anybody sit in in with him or in front of him. You gotta sit yep. behind him. And the first fun stones, he walks in, he goes, you know, I, I never laugh at these things, just so you know. <laughs> oh, thanks <laughs> for telling me. Uh, and, and he did laugh quite a bit, actually. And he laughed at, when we showed him the second one. And at the end, he stood up and he smiled big. And he said, I think you made a better movie. Uh, also, also, though, he had yeah. said, after the first cut of the, the original Flintstones, he said, it's perfect. Don't change a thing. And then we went and previewed it. And yeah, we needed to change some things. <laughs> but, uh, and, and at the premiere, at the premiere, Harry Elfont, who along with his writing partner, Deb Kaplan, who also did uh, Josie and the Pussycats, for instance, mm -hmm. and, and a tremendous amount of jingle all the way as well. And I believe they're co-credited uh, on this. He yeah. comes up to me and he goes, all those talky scenes. What were we thinking? <laughs> Walks off. <laughs> I so, I love it. I love the, I love the the interaction in the in the prequel. I really do. I love the talky scenes. I do like the. I, 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 the you know, uh, you know, in the words of Lucille Ball, late in life when she did that show, uh, uh, Life with Lucy. Yes, uh, and she was, you know, like seventy or so. And, and after a reading, she puts down the script and she turns to the to the producer. And he goes, "Talk, talk, talk. Just put me on a ladder." <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. I, I like. I have to admit, I I have a massive soft spot for both movies, so uh, uh, I, I appreciate I, I the work. Too. And in the end, and in the end, you know that we did uh, uh, twenty percent. Uh, of what the uh, original did is is, is humbling, uh, uh, and I think we did uh, an all star job of 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 entertaining. Uh, yeah. I, I think that the, the sets and the costumes uh, we we really upped the ante significantly, and the first mm. one was a you know what <laughs> was unbelievable. Uh, yeah. uh, and. And just, I mean, things that nobody would ever notice that were improved that like in the first one, we didn't print on the back of Fred's tie. So, you know, if he fell down, you'd see that there was nothing on the other <laughs> side. You know, you'll learn from these things. But, you know, like uh, if, now take something like that and apply yeah. it, you know, throughout. How do you how do you make something that you probably couldn't have done much better, that much better? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's And that's where the real, you know, uh, the real devotion uh, to, to detail and, and why you need to commit so strongly to these things, to be able to put yourself in a place where you get just that little extra every day that, 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 that having something unique in every shot, yeah. something, something that, that, that holds your eye, that makes it, that improves it. That, that, that's what I'm most proud of. Uh, and, and, in the end, yes, it was it was a wonderful experience, and I'm sorry that it didn't find favor. Uh, uh, unlike my book, my <laughs> exactly. Well, that's my a good segue it. because <laughs> I want to go slightly onto your book now. Uh, my life and toys. Yeah, <laughs> I have a copy here. It's very heavy. It's a big. It, coffee is, table it is. It is. It is eight and a half pounds. Uh, it is uh, almost a foot tall, 480 pages with over 1,100 original 
color photographs uh, done by, by uh, Joe Pellegrini, who, other than being my brother-in-law, which means I could get him at far below market value, uh, is one of the top <laughs> uh, commercial photographers in the United States and does nothing but but Subway sandwiches and sweaty Coke bottles and Kellogg's uh, bowls of cereal. Uh, this is his life. And he brought such expertise and, and, and brought out the uniqueness of, of every single one of those toys. Yeah. I can tell it's a massive passion project for you. What made you do it? Well, you get to a point where, A, you don't have room for another olive oil in your collection. <laughs> uh, and every shelf is filled and there's nowhere left to hang a painting. Uh, you say, you know, this isn't sustainable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and I, I, it was time after a half a century in the industry mm. and a half a century of collecting yeah to try and take stock what it meant to me of how i could share my passion for these characters these projects uh these figures and these puzzles <laughs> my, my, it, it, everything under the sun uh and and try and try and literally, literally convey my my personal passion and uh to do that, uh, it was uh, I had to do things very differently than books are usually made. I designed the book myself with absolutely no experience in in this field whatsoever, and it was a uh, and it was a learn a very slow learning curve. It, uh, for mm. Eleven years from the start wow. of this project until publication, uh, 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 most of that time was spent photograph <laughs> taking over seven thousand photographs. That, uh, uh, and then breaking it down into into chapters and choosing it. It, it, it was a long, difficult process. And finding a publisher who would mm. publish something so unique and of such uh, uncommon size. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, G, publisher G Editions uh, specializes mm. in in books like that. So I was uh, very fortunate. That my agent uh, Judy Linden uh, uh, was able to. Uh, bring it to them and that they appreciated it. And, you know, it, it took a long time to learn how to really get the best of all these things. And uh, uh, lit literally, I, I would say that there are nine drafts yeah. of the book, or every page changing, <laughs> sometimes severely, or, and the, the director's cut of the book was 610 pages. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so funny because I love the, I love what, so I, give you an insight into me before starting yeah. my life in America. When I worked in London, I used to be a manager of uh, the Harrods bookshop. So the Harrods big department store. Ah, I yes. used to manage the bookshop there. So I dealt with a lot of coffee table books because that's what the rich and famous like to buy. Uh -huh. big coffee table books. And I have seen nothing like this ever before. I've seen book about collectors. I've seen coffee table books about collectors. But the opening with the storyboard and the script was so original <laughs> and so beautiful. Well, you know, honestly, you're only the second person who's ever even mentioned it. <laughs> you're kidding me. Like I opened, when I yeah. got the copy of it and I was looking through it and stuff when I was when we first started to plan out the Flintstones episode and I did some research on you. And I was like, <laughs> he's released a book. And this was about Christmas time. So I got a copy of the book and I was just blown away by the detail in it. But the opening, like you want when you've got a film director doing something out of their wheelhouse, like making a book, for them to pull it in their wheelhouse as well, and to do that script and storyboard for a film lover for me and a book lover, 
and those worlds do collide quite a lot. Yeah. Well, it, okay, so just to beautiful. be clear, so he's, uh, thank you. You're talking about the introduction to the book, yes. and and you know, and I tried to write a straight introduction, and that isn't the school I was raised in. So no. I, I I managed to fictionalize it and, and personalize it. Uh, by by putting it in script form and collaborating with Daryl Henley, my storyboard artist of over a quarter of a century, uh, who knows me far better than anyone. I love his drawings of you. Your little <laughs> drawings of you in your AA meeting yeah. had these stitches. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, uh, collectors, uh, collective are, addiction. Uh, Collector, collecting addiction. Yes, let's yes. be clear. Uh, <laughs> well, there's yes, enough alcoholics in my family already. <laughs> I'm sorry, but like you know, that kind of like feeling of that room or people saying about their. Yeah, you understood. Understood. Yeah, it's a support group. It's a support group. I because really collectors can't stop either. <laughs> yeah, because even like reading the book. I felt like I was getting an inside look into your brain on how you handle pre-production for films as well and the way ah. that it's structured and stuff. So I would very much kind of like the way you tackle each chapter and you talk about each of your collections and talk about each of the characters and the IPs you're talking about. I felt like this is how you would tackle if somebody said to you, do another Scooby-Doo movie or do a Monsters movie or do another family movie or a Mork and Mindy movie. I felt this is where I think you would start. I had a real insight into you by reading this book, and I found it. Wow, really well, that, that's that, that's very kind. Uh, I I think the other thing that delayed the book for so many years was the fact that I had never ever written in my own voice, mm. and it took me a long time uh, to figure out how to accomplish that, uh, yeah. and, so that I could even, you know, get detach myself enough to proof it. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, and I was very worried about that. And and after I, I read a piece at, 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 at a bookstore uh, signing, uh, a friend of mine, Bennett Yellen, one of the writers with the Fairley Brothers of Dumb and Dumber mm. and many others, uh, uh, said, "You know, you, you sound just like you." <laughs> well, it's good because I think that's well, what it's important. So, but to, to spend like six years trying to figure out how to sound like you is kind of kind of slow. I'm sorry. It's a journey. <laughs> it's a journey. It's a journey. But you can look back that's on it and go. And that's right. This has been a good experience. <laughs> it's like what well, out of all the collections you have, and let, tell, guys, let me tell you, he has a huge collection, and the book does. I think the book only probably shines at like fifty percent of what he truly has. What would you say is your favorite collection of toys? Oh, it's it, you have to love them like your children equally, yeah, and your dogs. Uh, <laughs> but no, but but there are, there are pieces uh, that we have that that have tremendous um, uh, importance, uh, significance. Uh, you know, from a thirty foot long uh, porcelain Wonder Bread sign uh, uh, on the tennis court, you know, yeah. down to the little tiny that I mention in the book uh, a glow-in-the-dark light bulb that I got from a gumball machine in first grade. Uh, you know, it it, it it all means something. And and the fact that there's so much of it, and mm. I care so little for condition, <laughs> it, it gives it, it makes it all uh, interesting. And it's, it's, it is kind of overpowering. And I, and that's why I, I, I love the fact that there are so many exceptionally big close-ups of toys uh, that show uh, that show how they're made and 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 
you know, and some of them, the, the wear and tear, which is, yeah. was hopefully from uh, being loved. Yeah. <laughs> not, not smashed by some evil kid. <laughs> yeah, like, like the Toy Story. Like, I have a huge collection of um, Batman um, toys, especially from Joel Schumacher's Batman oh, universe, all of that toyetic stuff, but they're none of the bots. I won't anybody touch them. So I'm very different to you. I'm just like, don't I, I, touch I, them I out the box. I, I don't like in the box. I don't like them. <laughs> I'm not, you don't know? take it out of the box kind of person. Uh, you know, You're the opposite. Uh, every day, every day is like Christmas. You just tear it open. Oh my God, I could imagine. See what's inside. And, and I'm very happy to say uh, that uh, in about a year, mm. you will be able to go to the bookstore and buy my second book called 50 Years of Happy Days, uh, uh, written, oh, wow. with, uh, written with my uh, uh, co-producer of Happy Days and frequent collaborator, Fred Fox Jr., and uh, coming from Pop Culture Specialist uh, uh, Insight Editions. And it'll be a, a complete history uh, of, of Happy Days, um, season by season, blow by blow, uh, with brand new interviews from every single surviving <laughs> uh, member of the cast and crew. It's so interesting you mentioned that because we're looking through um, my life and toys. I didn't, because I grew up in England. So kind of like a lot of the other toys, like the Batman stuff, the Flintstone stuff, the Adam Family stuff, the more Indy stuff. But to see this world of Happy Days toys oh. and merchandise that was available in America, I was like, because I remember the reruns being on during the 80s and 90s. Sure. Happy Days was on every day. I used to come in from school and watch it. Of like, course. Doesn't get rerun now, but I used to watch Bewitched. Oh, it, uh, it, 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 oh no, no, you can still get it on Paramount Plus. On oh, is it over here? On Hulu, on on Pluto has a Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley Channel. For God's sakes, oh. uh, it's it's oh. out there. It's uh, it's out there, and you'll be seeing more of it because 2024 is the 50th anniversary. Oh, and, good timing and, for uh, the book. Yeah, and Henry Henry Winkler was kind enough to to write the foreword for oh, us. That's so and, nice. Uh, and and, and and, you know, uh, I and, and Fred Fox, uh, uh, our first appearances on the show were in the fourth season, the, the year they went mm. to number one. Uh, and so there was a lot that we didn't know about the original pilot, about the casting process, about the first mm. three seasons. And so it's been great fun to reconstruct uh, all that. And yeah. really, and really, uh, it's it, it, it's it's a great history, and there's so much that we didn't know. And Ron Howard was so frank uh, uh, about how it was kind of a double-edged sword for him to be on this hit hit money money machine yeah. uh, 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 television series, uh, and and its and and its softball team, which meant almost as much to him, <laughs> uh, and. And so want to move on to the next phase of his career and, and become a director. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that kind of stuff was kind of very surprising to us. Thing, things that Marion Ross told us, uh, uh, you know, things that we didn't know. And hopefully that, that will really, really make people believe that this is all true. It all happened. And, and we are really faithfully reporting you know the the, mm. the the major successes and and the issues and problems that, that were surmounted over the years yeah and when does that book come out it comes that'll that'll be out uh that should be out in about a year 50 That's years awesome. of happy days i'm looking forward to i'm looking look forward to i'll definitely be picking a copy of that up <laughs> but i do challenge anybody to pick up 
my life and toys and not find something that sparks a childhood memory because for ah. me every page turning was oh my god oh my god that oh my god it was like made me want to go on ebay and buy bits <laughs> of that. ebay should sponsor you because i'm sure many people are going to pick up this book and then just go out to ebay and start buying pieces of plastic i think i bought trading cards yesterday uh, did you? Will, yeah. After do, so doing what? To go take them to leave them in your parents? Wait, now if your parents really <laughs> want you to have them, they can't. I heard they have mail that goes across yeah. the ocean. Yeah, it's expensive to post over here, you know. It's kind of, oh, it's three hundred and fifty cards. How much can they weigh? <laughs> my parents will be like, "I'll bring it with me," and I'm like, "Please don't," because I'll end up. You know, I, my husband will go nuts. There's so much junk in my <laughs> house as it is, and we travel a lot, so he'll be like, "Don't bring it." Um, but it's a beautiful book. And I just want to know when can I come over for a play date? Because I'm looking at your shelf behind <laughs> you right now. And there's like those Flintstones stuff is just absolutely mind blowing me, blowing, uh, blowing. It's so great. Oh, thank you. No, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I thank you. And thanks for your support of Unlove Sequel. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to get Viva Rock Vegas back on the Apple chart for you. So that it becomes more unloved. Uh, that, and more that would popular. be great. That, that would be great. Uh, that would that would. One final question we'd like to ask sure. all our guests is, Please. is there an unloved sequel, something you've made or not made, that you recommend that we should cover in a future episode? Well, 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 <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, yes, actually, I think I think you should, uh, the sequel to City Slickers. Uh, City Slickers Curly's 2. Ball. Yeah, that's such a great idea. I've never thought about well, that. Was, that's that. Happy Days alumni uh, Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel collaborating with Billy Crystal on yes. that, and, Dan, and Danny Stern, who was in my my sequel to. Uh, here's another one that I did that, <laughs> that didn't get uh, Christmas Story Two. Yeah, and David did the music on that for you as well. David talked oh, about yes. that quite keenly as well when yeah. we did a little interview with him. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, he's, uh, but thank you for coming on the podcast today. And I'm going to put CT Slickers 2 down onto our list. So thank you. Good, good. My pleasure. All right. Uh, uh, one last thing about City Slickers 2. It was yeah. supposed to open the same day as the Flintstones. And Sid oh. I was told Sid Scheinberg ran into uh, the head of Warner Brothers, Bob Daly, at a party. Mm. And, 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 and Bob Daly goes up to him and goes, move. And, and <laughs> Sid goes, no, nah, if I was you, I'd move. <laughs> flickers moved. <laughs> I'm going to bring that up on that episode. But thank you so much for your time today, Brian. I really appreciate Take care. it. Care. It's been a lot of fun. What a coup to get two such amazing interviews for one movie. I am very excited and very jealous and also very relieved that I didn't have to do either of these interviews because oh, I was on holiday. It was, it, it was, it was nerve wracking. It was very, uh, it was, it was an honor, but also very nerve wracking to interview two icons to me that have like growing up in the nineties, their film, yeah. both of them were massive part of my reason why I fell in love with Hollywood. And to have two conversations about Steven Spielberg with two different people, like like is that like the ninety degrees or set Kevin Bacon, whatever that terminology is? So yeah, so like... you and you and Spielberg are like besties now, right? Yeah, by best association, buddies. exactly. So if Spielberg wants to come on and talk about any of his unloved sequels. We are available.
So guys, if you want to get hold of Brian or even have a look at his book, My Life and Toys, or get in contact and about his new book, about Happy Days, you, he's a big Instagram fan. That's how I got in contact with him. And that's just at Brian Levant. So Claire, let's play a little game. Yes. Let's play a little game. Let's play that game. Okay, so before this recording, I asked Claire to play fantasy casting with about if she got a chance to cast her own Flintstones movie. Now, so the way we're going to do this is that we're going to say a character's name and we're both going to shout out what our characters, who the actor would be to play that part. Now, both of us don't know who we've picked. So this is going to be quite interesting. So you ready, Claire? <laughs> They're either going to be identical or completely different. And I'm not sure oh, which way you would have gone. I know. It's kind of, I don't know. I think I know. I think I know who you would pick for Fred. And I've got it in the virtual comedy. Oh, see, I, I, I know. I think you've probably, because like, go on. Okay. Let's do it. Who yes. would you have to play Fred? Well, this, this makes sense as you go through my full cast list because it's a bit of a random start. But I would yeah. have, playing Fred Flintstone, Kurt Russell. Can you see oh. where I might be going with this? No. Oh, <laughs> okay. Kurt Russell as Fred oh. Flintstone. Is this because you were, oh, I can see it now. <laughs> yeah, you see it now. The penny's just dropped. How about you? Who's your Fred? So I have to admit, I had a toss-up on this because there was two names I put down and I thought you would say one of them. So mm. I was going to say the other one. I'm going to be honest with the audience. Oh, okay. So the two people I had down for Fred Sinso are Jack Black. Oh. Or John C. Riley. Really? Oh, yes. 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 I see that. That's good. That's good. That's good. So I was a bit, so I, I thought you would say Jack Black. I don't know why. So I thought that, so I was going to say John C. Riley. So I, I think like, if no. I was going for that age. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, Jack Black would be a good choice from my point so, of view. But so no, I I've, take it, I've gone up a generation. So I think, so for your Flintstones, are you going to base your Flintstones movie on them being older in it? Or are you, or are you yeah. thinking that they were made in the 90s? So it's going to be grandparent Flintstones. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, it's a continuation case. of, so I guess it's a continuation of the original movie and movie, chronologically. Yeah. Because the the actors I picked are around the same age as the actors that were in it back then. So in that case, are we <laughs> guessing who you have for Wilma? <laughs> well, this is the thing. My entire cast is built around Wilma. Wilma. Okay, so she's going to be the <laughs> Who lead. would, of course, be played by Goldie Horn. Oh, I would see that. That's a really good You casting. see, she'd be you a see. really good Wilma and her chemistry with Kurt Russell. Like, Kurt Russell isn't an automatic choice for Fred. Yeah. But if she is Wilma, he becomes the automatic choice. Yes. Yeah. Because they have such good chemistry on screen together. We've seen them in a couple of movies. Um, yep. And obviously we know they have their own relationship outside mm. of movies as well. But we've seen them together in movies and we have they have that same kind of connection, that that flirty chemistry that yep. Fred and Wilma have. So that's why oh. you have Goldie Horn, you get Kurt Russell. So who are you? So which which Fred are you taking? Are you taking Jack Black or are you taking John C. Riley? I'm taking John C. Riley because choice. I think he's as much as I love Jack Black, but his movies he's in do turn into Jack Black movies. And yes. the rest of my cast is so strong, I think John C. Riley would yeah. work well. Okay. So who's your Wilma then? Sarah Paulson. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. That would mm-hmm. work. That would really work, Sarah Paulson. It would really work. John C. Yes. Riley and Sarah Paulson in one movie. 
playing the Flintstones. And I think they're they're such strong actors and the audience that would go and watch it, what is our age group, mm-hmm. they're really big name for us. And they're also really yes. established actors and character actors, not just actors that you can just pay a check to. They are actually character actors. So I think they would take it really seriously. Yeah. So next choice, Barney Rubble. Who have you got down for Barney Rubble, Claire? Well, this is where I I found it a bit trickier. Mm. Um, my first thought, if he was still alive, would be perhaps John Ritter. Okay, I think yeah, he would do well in that part. But obviously, he is no longer with us, so I guess that takes mm. him off the table. And then I kind of skirt. I'm I'm a bit torn between two. I was mm-hmm. skirting around um, Mark Hamill, who I think would right. be a surprising choice, but I think he would do it very well. Yeah. And then at the other end of the scale, I was humming and hiring about Martin Short. Oh. Mm. And it's that same, the thing that's holding me back from Martin Short is that same Jack Black thing, is that Martin Short is such a big personality. Yeah. It Casting him in, in an ensemble piece. And look, don't get me wrong, we know he does really well in ensemble pieces. We love Only Murders in the Building, both of us. And yeah. that's a great ensemble piece. But it's, I don't know. I'm yeah. not sure how well he would gel with the rest of my cast. So I'm kind of torn. I might, I'm going to come down on Martin Short and I will explain why when I get to the end of my cast. You'll realise in a minute. Uh, okay. Yeah, I like the concept of Martin Short. So the, so you're still thinking... You it makes sense correct. as a big picture. Individually, yeah, it, it sounds a bit weird. But as a big picture, you will see. There's method yeah. in my madness. So for my Barney... Mm. Martin Freeman. Oh. Ah, so going You've a gone with the that. old British actor in an American part thing. Yeah, I was like, I might have worked with Mark Addy. It's a risk. I, it's a risk, but I was, I was trying to find an actor that I really like that I think would character play it that, but had the height difference between John C. Riley and Sarah Paulson because he's quite short, Martin Freeman. I just think. You know, mm. and then I was looking at age group of the other two, and I was like, so the men are in their fifties, the women are in their forties. I went with Martin Freeman. I really, really like him, and I was watching a hell of a lot of yeah. Breeders at the moment, so that kind of helped. Love me. Breeders, such a great show, such a great show. So, my favorite character, who I think is always underused, apart from the movies, because they're just the casting in both movies is fantastic for this character. Betty Rubble. Who will be playing your Betty Rubble? Well, she is certainly not going to be underused in my version of this movie. And when I tell you who it is, you're going to understand my vision right. on a much grander scale. Bette Midler. <gasps> do you think she could do the voice thing? Like, it's a think? musical. I'm doing the musical. Oh, you're doing a musical. I'm doing the musical. That's Can why I've Russell gone with Martin thing? Short rather than Mark Hamill, because I think Martin Short Jordan in a musical. But we know Goldie Hawn can sing. Oh, 100%. But can Kurt Russell sing? Does it matter for Fred? Look, I don't think I could sit through Russell We've Crow all seen My Fair Lady. Lady. Yes, but we've also seen Russell Crowe in Les Mis and we've also seen Piers <gasps> Brosnan in the Mamma Mia movie. So we know sometimes it's yeah. not best to cast these people. Yeah. I did consider Stellan Skarsgård for that reason because we know he can sing, but then I was like, I can't break up the Goldie Hawn, Kurt Russell the power dynamic. Couple, the gold, golden power couple. Yeah. A good choice. Anyway, in my fantasy version of this, yes, of course he can sing. He's brilliant. Have you not heard him sing before? Who? Kurt Russell. Yes. Kurt Russell. Yes. 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 
Yes, Oscar we're playing winning. fantasy casting. He can do whatever yeah. I want him to do. They're all going to yeah. come in riding on horses and then jump off and straight into a tap routine. Oh, what horses decorated as dinosaurs? So that, that yes, be... yeah. Oh, okay. I see. I see your vision. Your vision. It's going to be great. Your... It's going to be great. You're really, anyway. when you were doing your run and thinking of this cast, the dolphins were high, weren't they? <laughs> kicking in. They were really yeah, kicking were. in. Oxygen levels were low. <laughs> <laughs> Cut off on the brain. Cut off. So who's your? You go on then. Top bet middler with your Betty. What have you got? Drew Barrymore. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we're going to have to make both of these movies. Yeah. And they're just or occupying it... different parts of the chronology. Yeah. I think that would be really, really cool. Kind of like what you could do that, do a Flintstone movie when it's actually made up of three or four 25 minute episodes like the cartoon and each time have a different cast. For sure. That would be awesome. Now, of course, the other thing, because I've gone the next generation along with my casting, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've factored this in. I'm guessing maybe not, but I have also cast Pebbles and Bam Bam. Did you cast oh, yeah, Pebbles did, and Bam no, Bam? No, because you're going to have young actors. I'm going to have children still because I was yeah. like, see, I'm going to have adults and 50s. playing Pebbles and Bam Bam. Oh, you got deep, deep. I have. It, it was quite a long run. <laughs> she did our homework. I did. So uh, no big surprises for Pebbles. Who am I going to cast as Pebbles? Emma Stone. Kate Hudson. Oh, no. Yeah, she no, can I sing guess... well enough. Yeah, but I would go for Emma Stone because you want somebody with red hair. Yeah, because you want somebody who's going to be slightly, I don't know. I think, if, I think for Pebbles... Kate Hudson's a little bit too horny, literally, from Goldie Horn. I think she's a little bit too horny to be. Oh. So who, so who would you have as Bam Bam, who's going to marry off to? Well, I, I haven't decided if they're going to marry or not. I can't quite work out if that's the plot of the movie. In the cartoon, or... they marry. Oh, OK. Well, there we go. It's going to be Ashton Kutcher. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> I can see you kind of dropping off of like, okay, I've lost interest. The investors are out of this movie now. Yeah, I'd be like, I'd be like, well, that's an idea. Next. <laughs> I think it would work because Kate Hudson and Ashton Kutcher have both got that history of the kind of like rom com thing so going on. You've so if you missed... wanted that romantic storyline for them, they could play it. No, you've missed a prime opportunity here to sell tickets, Claire. Prime opportunity. Oh, really? Matthew Why? McConaughey. Ah! <laughs> Yes. Can he sing? I mean, can Ashton Kutcher sing? Who cares? Do you care? It would be Matthew McConaughey in a little Tarzan outfit True. with Kate Hudson on screen. He can imagine going yeah. around and go, he's going to go, bam, bam, or go, all right, all right. Well, all I did right, wonder, right. <laughs> once, once we were talking about loincloths, I did wonder whether I could get Brendan Fraser in, but he's just a nudge too old. He's more in the adult section i think age-wise yeah. compared to maybe he could be my barney oh yeah he could be he's a barney. little bit younger than the others which is why i didn't look at him but yeah he maybe sorry martin short um yeah you've been outed it's uh brennan fraser it's just that blonde dusty hair thing that gets me it's like who could you get who's bet middle of age hmm. well yeah. any of them can have blonde hair we saw this in uh viva rock vegas with stephen baldwin although that didn't isn't really a fine example of I didn't think he was that bad until I spoke to Brian. Oh, see, I thought he was that bad before you spoke to Brian. And then I heard what Brian had to say and thought, (laughs) oh, yeah, that's it. That's it. Because actually, (laughs) I think that completely what he said about Stephen Baldwin. Are we moving on or are we still fantasy? Let's move on. No, no. I think think a round of applause for our fantasy league or fantasy casting, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Let us know who you'd cast, listeners, in in your fantasy version of the Flintstones. But yeah, so the thing the thing that I found really interesting 
not most interesting necessarily, but really interesting mm. from your chat with Brian Levant was what he said about Stephen Baldwin. Yeah. Because I, he didn't work for me in this movie at all. And I put in my notes and I think I put it in my notes before I listened to your interview with Brian that I just felt like he was playing it too cartoony. Everyone else, it works. Like the first movie, it worked so brilliantly because everyone played it really seriously. Yeah. And let the comedy speak for itself. It's a bit like, um, what's his, Michael Caine in The Muppet Christmas Carol when he signed on quite famously. When he signed on, he said, I will do it, but I will only do it if I'm allowed to play it as if there are no Muppets in this movie. I am going to play it as an absolutely straight down the line adaptation of a Christmas Carol. And then you guys just do your thing around me. And I think that's what happened in the Flintstones and and what Brian said backed that up about how John Goodman was and, and Rick Moranis and all of them, they all took it very seriously. And it, it came across to me and what Brian said seemed to support that, that with Stephen Baldwin, he came in and was like, right, I'm in a goofy comedy. So I'm going to be goofy and funny. Yeah. And actually, as soon as you try to be funny, it, it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and the other cast, the rest of the cast didn't do that. They played it completely straight does, and let the comedy do its own thing. He does stand out in the movie, you know, and not in the best light compared to the rest mm. of the other members of the cast. This is the, the thing. Yeah. It just seemed to me like he wasn't taking it seriously. He thought he was better than the movie because yeah. this is, you know, he was a huge actor before. This is well after The Usual Suspects, isn't it? So mm. yeah, he's, he's a really established, serious actor, but he for some reason, doesn't seem to have taken this particularly seriously. I wonder why the studio did push him across, push him onto Brian to do it, you know, because I felt like, obviously, the studio had that in mind and director has these choices, but if the studio wants a certain person, they get what they want, yeah. you know, the funding. Is well, I, the thing is, I mean, Mark Addy wasn't a huge name at that point. I know he was known, mm-hmm. but he wasn't a huge name. Stephen Baldwin was a much bigger name Yeah, exactly. at that point. So I guess maybe they thought he had the pulling power. Yeah, this is true. This is true. I don't know. I don't know. What else? But was there, other like than about... him, was there anything you didn't like in the movie? Was there anything that didn't work for you? Um, I don't know. Like the concept of going backwards to me seemed irrelevant. I would think I would have preferred a, an actual spirited sequel than a prequel, even with a recast. Even with a recast, yeah. I think I would come with mm. And do you know what? I think that if it happened today, no one would batter an eyelid at a recast or a reboot because reboots and recasts happen so regularly now in movies. Mm. You know, that we're constantly re how many Batmans have we had since the nineties? You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Fair enough. Know, it it happens constantly. So people just go, Oh, it didn't work, or it didn't happen. You know, like we've had how many teen, teenage mutant ninja turtle movies since the eighties. Yeah. Casting is just like recasting is just one of those things, but I suppose I didn't want to they decide to go backwards. But then it would be unusual, I suppose, to have the same director come in for the reboot. Yeah, but this is if you were making it a reboot rather than a sequel. So but no, do you know what? There is I I the one thing I do what I'm not keen on in Viva Rock Vegas is the introduction to a lot more CGI because I think they were trying to get into what the audience was used to seeing now and the cartoonish yeah. CGI didn't work for me. I preferred the 
animatronics, the live action, yeah. you know, aspect of things. And this one went lent more into the CGI aspect. But then, I mean, to an extent it had to, and you talked about this yeah. with Brian, didn't you? That it, Because everything was on such a bigger scale, there's yeah. no way, you know, even with the expanded budget they were given, there's no way they could have achieved the grandeur of those sets mm. with purely practical effects and with that yeah. many extras and and no effects no exactly no i get i get it i get it but just yeah for me. i guess your point is they could have just kept it smaller and made it real yeah this does seem like a bigger movie like i said to brian it it felt like a bigger movie and i was there for it i felt like i was well you know the first movie is just based in bedrock yes yeah yes so. although the thing that i found weird in this movie was mm. um we were 45 minutes in which is half yeah. the movie because it's only an hour and a half this movie. Yeah. Before they even talked about going to Rock Vegas, like I had forgotten that that was the point of the movie. Yeah. Up to the point that they said they were going to Rock Vegas, I was like, oh yeah, that's it's in the title and everything. I'd completely forgotten yeah. that that's where we were going, and it took half the movie. Yeah. To even I, think I, about. I am disappointed. One thing I am that. disappointed in that Brian didn't get get to make this and. Um, publicly make this a full-grown musical yes i think that it would have a complete different fan base and he's right it has like three to five numbers in it, musical numbers in it but to advertise it and to have kind of like just random musical numbers in it just a couple more would really kind of like finish the film off and i think it would make it stand apart from the original as well yes well, you that know. was one of the reasons that I took that direction with my fantasy casting, because actually I, when I heard you talking about it, I thought, actually, that's a really good yeah. idea. And in this world, Fantastic idea. it could really work. I think, I think, and also a musical version of the Flintstones on Broadway would work really, really well. I think it'd be quite a fun experience and stuff. Mm. Kind of like have, you wouldn't have to do full dinosaurs, but you can have the neck of the Brontosaurus coming in and just kind of like, yeah, of yeah. And really Flintstones up the theatre, it would be quite fun. It would be really fun. So, like, what did you like about the movie? Well, the thing that I really liked was in both movies, actually, but particularly in this, because it was on such a bigger scale, was the world building yeah. of it all. The fact that everything, and again, you talked to Brian about it, the fact that every aspect of life, they went, okay, well, if this was happening now, what would they be doing? What would they be using? What devices would be around them? Yeah. And then how do we turn that into a Stone Age version? Yeah. Which, again, is kind of my, when my brain was going with the fantasy casting idea that, that you came up with. I was like, okay, so if we were doing this now, I guess it would be about them coming to terms with the internet and that, like, the way that our parents struggle yeah. with mobile devices. Um, mm. And it would be Pebbles and Bam Bam trying to... I mean, that wouldn't be the entire premise of the movie because that's a weird premise of the movie. But the world-building aspect of it would be, you know, trying to connect to the bedrock version of the internet and however that would whether that would be like mm. but there, there would be a twitter joke in there with birds even though twitter yeah. doesn't exist but maybe by the time this airs next week it twitter might be back who knows exactly but that you know there are lots of those sorts of jokes that you could apply to the world and that's what i think mm. they did really well in this movie is that they took everything that was contemporary at the time about vegas and created a stone age version of it and i think and it's the little touches that really mm. worked for me. I thought the new cast, with the exception of Stephen Baldwin, who I think we've covered, I thought the new yeah. casting was good. Yeah, um, I was pleasantly surprised by Mark Addy. Jane Krakowski yes. is fantastic. Yes, I, I would. I was going to say something really vulgar then, but I would watch anything that she does quite happily. 
Mark Addy, I was very pleasantly surprised by. I think his his accent was a bit patchy. And again, when I was listening to your chat with Brian, I, they, he talked about that. And I thought, yeah, that that did come over that he either had his accent absolutely nailed it for Fred Flintstone mm-hmm. or it was a little bit, but, I, you know, far yeah. from the worst thing about the movie. I found it a very enjoyable movie. I also liked, and it's a tiny, tiny detail, but I, I, it struck me that um, there was an opportunity for some really cheap, slightly homophobic humour uh, when in the scene where Gazoo is with Fred and Barney and they're in the bunk beds and mm. one of them falls down on top of the other and, and Gazoo thinks that they're about to start mating. Yeah. And it was all dealt with in a very like, oh, no, we're not like that, but it's cool kind of way rather than, you know, this is the late 90s going into the 2000s. It could have very easily have been a very kind of, oh, no, no, absolutely not. We're not like that kind of yeah. response. And I like that they didn't no. push that response. It was very like, oh, no, it's fine. That's just, no, we don't do that. Yeah. No, I know. And I, I liked that detail in it. There were a lot of movies in the late 90s, early thousands that would, would have, have lent into it, found the opportunity to make the jokes that this yeah. movie didn't make. And I really liked that. Um, I think it's a good movie. There's there's a lot. I found it really enjoyable, actually, considering it's not got a great reputation. What did you enjoy what, in it? What, before we move on to me, what, would you say that when I was watching it and the watching both movies back to back, even before I interviewed Brian, um, I felt like the prequel Viva Rock Vegas would be far more accessible for kids, like for your kids' age. I think they would enjoy the prequel mm. with the because there's so much more world building and there's more to look at than who like say for instance kids today yes. that's never seen the Flintstones before. I think you could I think you could could start with Viva Rock Vegas and then yes. go to the Flintstones I... afterwards. Yeah, I would say the the original Flintstones movie is a great movie for Flintstones fans. Yeah. I think Viva Rock Vegas is is a good family movie. Yeah. Regard take the whole context of any previous existence of the Flintstones mm. out of it completely and I think it stands alone as a a separate movie from any other part of franchising. Yes, yeah. I agree. Yeah. So the things that I liked about it, I love the sets. I love the world building like you. I felt the sequel felt more like the 1960s cartoon in the original movie did because the storyline in the original movie is something that doesn't really happen in any of the cartoon episodes. It's so mm. extravagantid while, while kind of like the prequel is such a basic storyline. It's something that you could imagine happening within the Flintstones cartoon. It's a bit more of a simple... Yes storyline to follow yes you can imagine them doing a kind of flashback episode and of how they met and that could be how it was exactly and then loved alan cummings in both his parts in this i thought he was fantastic i think he held the film together um, having him as as gazoo i think that his character did bring something to it i thought it brought brought a slightly fresher take to the cartoon and kind of like just make it a little bit more futuristic and kind of bridging the the world between the Flintstones and the Jetsons a little bit closer. Because when I was mm. a kid, I watched both of those cartoons and they were the same. They were the two sides of the same coin. Yeah, for sure. 
But overall, I'm really happy with the movie. I think it's a real shame it didn't perform the way that the cast and the crew wanted it to. I was really, yeah. I, I enjoyed it when I saw it. And the Flintstones are still popular today, like literally 2021, they had a new cartoon out that ran for two seasons called the Yabba Dabba Dinosaurs. So, yeah. Well, because it's... the cycle's repeating now. We talked about this in the last episode. Yes. Our parents yes. watched it um, in the 60s sort of the 50s and 60s and so then it kind of came around to us in the 80s and 90s the cartoons and then the film Mm. the original film kind of caught on to that in the mid 90s and this one because it came out a bit later maybe suffered from that but because we are now the parents yeah it's coming around or our generation are now the parents it's coming back around then so I mean I haven't watched the Flintstones with my kids, the, the cartoons. Actually, I'm not sure that's true. I think I might have watched some of the, the cartoons a while back with my son. Um, mm. Doesn't feature heavily in our lives, but it's the kind of thing that I would absolutely go, oh, actually, yeah, let's watch some Flintstones with the kids. Yeah. Because I remember watching it because our parents put it on for us because they remembered watching it. It's that kind of 30-year cycle and we're now mm. slap bang in the middle of it. So this is the best time. Like if someone wanted to reboot the franchise with yeah. either of our casting options that we've come up with for you for a exactly. very small fee. Um, now no, is the no, time. We don't need a fee. We just need plugs. We need listeners, Claire. We don't need money. <laughs> I need a fee. Yeah. You can have my idea for free, but I maybe a producer a credit. <laughs> or like a cameo of us as podcasters, but in Flintstones world. Oh yeah. I'd do that. <laughs> ah, there do you that. go. Yeah. We're there. Steven Spielberg's going to make it. I think my phone's ringing. It's him. Oh, pass him over. Um, So, Claire, Mm. out of five dinos, how many would you give the Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas? I think I'm going to give it a three out of five. It's a good movie. I would happily watch it again. I probably will watch it again. I'll put it on for my kids. And as you said, I think I'd probably put this on for my kids before... Yeah. The first one. I put the first one on for my husband. Yeah. In fact, he might have watched it with me. I can't remember. He was certainly up for watching it. I can't remember if we watched it together or not. But he seemed quite happy when I was going to be watching it. But he wasn't that interested in watching Viva Rock Vegas. I think my kids would enjoy Viva Rock Vegas yeah, more. Yeah, definitely. But then they would not They would like the second one as well, I think. Yeah. But exactly. um, yeah, three out of five for this one. I think I would probably score the first one slightly higher, maybe a three and a half. But yeah, Viva Rock Vegas is a good movie. I think it's certainly for family viewing, it is worth a watch. It's worth an hour and a half of anyone's time. How about you? 19 minutes worth spent. Um, I would probably give the Viva Rock Vegas about three and a half stars. I I, I have great time with it. I have a great time with the cast. I have a great time with the world that Brian has built. Um, I'm I'm sad that he won't get to make a third one probably but i really would yeah, love to see that me too i'd even i would even really really like to see i would have loved to see him make a jetsons movie so that be... <laughs> that's the flintstones in beaver rock vegas for you listeners please take a moment to rate us and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes and tell us what you thought of the movie you can leave a comment you can email us on unlovesequels at gmail.com and you can find us on all the socials at unlovesequels so it's goodbye from me michael and from me claire take care guys (laughs) 